garden watering the grass. You know, I've got a hose pipe there and spraying water across the, the garden. And so you ask me what I'm doing, and I say, well, the grass is too tall, so I'm trying to get it shorter. Now, you probably would then want to know why I'm watering it if I want it shorter. And so I explain that I'm hoping that this water blast will eventually knock all of the grass off and make it the, the length that I want. Now, you, knowing how grass works, try to explain to me that in fact I'm being counterproductive, at least to some degree, because water just helps grass grow. No, no, I say, if I do this long enough, it will work. Moreover, you should join me. I could do, I could do this with a mower, I, but this will be better. So, join in. Now, obviously, I'm going to look ridiculous in that situation, and you would walk away probably without my ability to reason clearly. But, in Galatians 2, 15 to 21, we encounter something strikingly similar to that. Peter had sided with some false teachers who came from Jerusalem and and tried to impose circumcision on Gentile Christians as a condition for salvation. Now, Israelites had been under the Mosaic Law for centuries, but, but none of them had managed to establish their right relationship with God on the basis of their works, despite ongoing, lengthy, centuries-long attempts. And although uh, being an insider among those who had tried to keep the law to be right with God and, and failed, Peter had, at least implicitly, tried to convince Gentile Christians in Antioch to join on to this sinking ship. Peter was the one attempting to cut the grass with a flowing hosepipe, trying to get others to join him. Now, in these verses, in verses 15 to 21, we have the, the full end of Paul's narrative about his apostleship, which for the purposes of this letter culminated in this dispute with Peter. So he, he had, has been telling us this story to prove that the gospel was divinely revealed, all the way back to chapter 1, verse 10, right? That the gospel was divinely revealed to him, noting that only God's sovereign revelation could could have converted him from his former opposition to the church, and only God's revelation explains how the apostles all... Likewise, all commonly understood the gospel and were equally accountable to it. Now, when men came to Galatia claiming to represent the Jerusalem apostles, even Peter caved into reestablishing the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile by requiring, requiring Mosaic ceremonial laws as the condition for the proper Christian life. And Paul confronted him publicly 
because even Peter had given up the Mosaic ceremonies eaten with Gentiles. Peter had realized this doesn't work. And yet he was asking other people to do exactly what he knew while Christians. Now the main point is that we, we must grant our right relationship with God and with each other only on grace found in Christ. We must ground our right relationship with God and with each other only on grace found in Christ. We'll think about that in and our assessment. First, let's let's think about the assertion. Now, as as we look at at this little passage here, it's not actually clear in the in the Greek text whether whether these verses are part of so if you if you see verse 14 that's in quotation marks, right? Paul said that to Peter. And it's actually not clear if these verses continue Paul's speech that began in verse 14. Because uh, there he critiqued Peter for living like a Gentile but forcing Gentiles to live like Jews. Mainly in regard to the ceremonial laws of the Mosaic Covenant. Now, the Greek doesn't have punctuation, and so we have to discern things like quotation marks. And the ESV ends the conversation, the quote, at verse 14. But it actually seems likely that since Paul was speaking to Peter, and then he continued to say there at the beginning of verse 15, we are Jews... That his his speech continued to the end of the chapter. Now, regardless of that, though, the the point of it is is that these verses still culminate Paul's story and sum up the major point he had wanted to make all along. Peter was wrong to force Gentiles to keep Jewish ceremonies because not even the Jews had succeeded in justifying themselves by works of the law. Now that's clear in verses 15 and 16. We ourselves, referring to himself and Peter, are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, meaning that they were born keeping the Jewish ceremonies. Yet, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So as people who grew up keeping the Mosaic law, we know that didn't work. We need to be justified by faith. So we also, we the Jews, have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one, will be justified. Now, justification, to make sure we all know what's going on, justification is the declaration that you're, you are righteous. It's a courtroom verdict, which, which not only pronounces you innocent, but also announces true fulfillment of any conditions. If a parent says to a kid, You can have ice cream, you may have ice cream, if you clean your room. Well, that doesn't entail that you get ice cream simply for not making a mess somewhere else, right? 
You don't, you don't just have to avoid wrong. You have to do the conditions. If they clean their room, they're justified. They get the reward. That's what's going on. Paul said here, even though they were Jews, those born with the law, they, they, as those most closely related to the law, knew that they couldn't be justified by it. They knew that. Because they, as those most responsible to keep the law, had realized they couldn't attain salvation by it. All the more can they not expect the Gentiles, who are sort of new to this in a sense, all the more can they not expect the Gentiles to keep the law for justification if they themselves couldn't. And so we're back to trying to cut the grass by spraying it with water, right? Peter and Paul had tried their whole lives before faith to cut the grass with a hose pipe, but it never worked. When Christ came, he demonstrated how ineffective their efforts were And so rather, they needed to trust in him to cut the grass for them with his perfect mower, to justify them by his perfect fulfillment of the law being connected to him by faith. To put this another way, if we can frame it in a different sense, the Jews were like a professional bodybuilder who had such a heavy weight in front of him that Even he could not pick it up. And yet, when the scrawny guy, the Gentiles, who had just joined the gym today, walked in, this, this bodybuilder expected him to be able to pick up the weight on the first try. The weight he could not even lift. Peter had slipped into that trap. Not, not realizing that his actions undermined the very doctrine of justification, the foundation of our right relationship with God. And so the law had not worked to justify, but now it was working to put a barrier between Christians. So one commentator wrote, the law distinguished Jew and Gentile ceremonially, but justified neither. Faith in Christ does not distinguish Jew and Gentile ceremonial, ceremonially, but justifies both. The assertion is that justification must be by faith alone, not by works. And that brings us to our second point. Some assumptions. Some assumptions. As Protestants, we... We often think a lot, rightly so, about salvation by grace alone and rightly as well spend a lot of time convincing others that their only hope for salvation is not their works but to place their trust in Jesus. Right? And that's right. That's necessary. One of the interesting features about these verses, which are so clearly important for that very doctrine, is that 
Paul does not argue for justification by faith alone, but from it. What, what do I mean? If you pay attention to what's going on in these verses, nowhere does he defend why his readers should believe in justification by faith alone. He doesn't defend that claim. Rather, he asserted in verse 16, yet we know, we already are aware that. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And so justification in this argument is is the assumed premise in Paul's argument, but as he rebuked Peter. He doesn't argue for it, he argues from it. He assumes it to be true and that they know it's true. He reminded Peter that he had quit act, that he needed to quit acting as if the Gentiles need to keep the Jewish ceremonies to be Christians because he does know better and ought to know better. Justification is by faith, not by works of the law. And so what happens there is that the denial of the gospel, the denial of justification, was implicit, implied. It wasn't overt, it wasn't on the surface, they didn't attack the doctrine, they just undermined it. Paul argued from justification to show how their practice actually did compromise the gospel. Now that's our, that's our first assumption is justification is by faith. He proved that by, by noting the significance of his and Peter's own faith in Christ in verses 17 and 18. But if in our endeavor, talking about Peter and Paul, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Right? Back back to verse 15, like the Gentile sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For, because, if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. His point was that he and Peter, as Jews, as Jews, the ones with the law, sought to be justified in Christ. And that endeavor entailed, it made them known as sinners. If, if I can't be right with God by my works and need faith in Christ, it means I'm a sinner. And that's put on display as I put my faith in Jesus, says Paul, reminding Peter he did the same. If they were justified by the law, then they would have no need for Christ. They wouldn't have been found a sinner. But even they needed Jesus. And so they were sinners like the Gentiles. Christ does not serve sin because he does not reimpose the law for justification. That that would be to exacerbate our guilt. If Paul reinstated the law, then he too would be rebuilding what he tore down, the law. So showing, putting himself back in that status of a sinner. 
Right now, by faith, he's justified. If you put the law back in place, in God's sight, I'm back to being a sinner. You can be a saint by faith, or you can be a sinner on your own. Now, what is that to us? No one here is suggesting that other members of LCPC need to be circumcised or eat particular foods in order to be saved. But this passage, nonetheless, prompts us to ask ourselves, what do we expect from other believers? Now, certainly Christians expect each other to live in accord with our profession of faith, right? That's not in question. But but what else do we expect from other believers? What what things besides the real substance of, of God's moral law summarized in the Ten Commandments, what what besides those things? do we really demand one another do if we're going to think of each other as properly Christian? And so our second assumption, seen our first justification by faith, our second assumption is anything that we demand from other Christians that they do for us to consider them as true and proper Christians? Do we demand that Christians share our political outlook, our cultural preferences, our musical taste, our demeanor, our specific views and practices about a so-called Christian society, our social agenda? Do we say you have to share these things for me to welcome you into the household of faith, at least all the way in at my table. The list can go on, right? Fill in the blank. It changes from church to church. It changes from person to person. We may not impose circumcision, but but if we begin to insist upon any of our preferences or any of our agendas as a condition to be a proper Christian, we've made the same mistake as the Galatians. And so might be, if we're not careful, in danger of undermining the premise of the gospel itself. Because remember, right, that even this doctrinal section has the force of an exhortation. That's why it's there. That's why Paul assumed justification by faith. You know this is true. Faith alone. To exhort them to change direction. Paul's purpose in outlining justification by faith alone was to reunite Christians. Was to reunite Christians whose poor practice had infringed upon salvation by grace alone. And so justification supports church unity. 
Just because your friend does not observe the same ceremony, whether that be mosaic, western, or personal, just because your friend does not observe that same ceremony does not mean that they are not true believers. And we must sit in fellowship at the table together. Now that brings us to our last point, our assessment. So we've, so far we've, we've been mulling over this illustration of trying to mow the grass with a hose pipe, right? Uh, by spraying it with water. As we come to verses 19 to 21, I, I want to change our metaphor a bit. So, so imagine you go to, into hospital for some very minor procedure, easily fixed, basic operations, no worries, you're done. Despite the ease, on the way out, you're handed a, a death certificate with your name on it. Sorry, there's been a mix-up, and you've been pronounced legally dead. Here's your death certificate. Now, it's a bit unsettling, but then not just in itself. There are further effects that come out of that. You try to use your debit card, and it's declined because, after all, you're dead. You might apply for a loan to rent a new flat or something like that. And since you're counted as dead, you will be declined. On the other hand, although Christians wouldn't do this, if you were to commit a crime, you couldn't be charged. Who would they convict? You're dead, after all. You could drive as fast as you want. You could slap that person who gets in your way on the footpath or whatever because they can't charge you. you can, they can't charge a dead person with a crime. Nor can the penalty for a crime be inflicted on a dead person. And Paul made essentially that point in verses 19 and 20. For through the law... I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. Because he knew, because he knew that the law condemned him and under the law he deserved to die, he he also knew he needed justification in Christ rather than by his works. Paul is not counted a transgress, verse 18, because, because he died to the law. How did, how did he die to the law? How did he get this death certificate? He was crucified with Christ. We are all criminals under the law because we have broken it by sin. We have a death penalty coming to us as the law's curse. There is hope, though. God will count us as though we have already died, already paid that debt for sin if we are joined to Christ. Faith takes hold of Christ and binds us to Him as our representative. 
so that God sees his death as ours. Under the law, through the law's provision of substitution, we're counted as dead. Christ's Christ's crucifixion is our death certificate so that we are no longer liable to everlasting death. You can't be charged. You're dead. As you stand in the courtroom before God at the last day, who would read your offenses? You're dead. The record is pulled out. God says, I can't read this. Someone's poured blood all over it. But imagine also that to, to fix their death certificate mistake, rather than reinstating your previous identity and legally raising you to life, the government just gave you a new identity. In this case, they gave you the the identity of a billionaire with all the resources and privileges that accompany it. And believer, that happens to you in Christ. Verse 20, the second half, it is... It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our old identity as transgressors and criminals is legally dead. Christ's death paid our penalty, and we are counted dead in him. God nailed the record of our trespasses to the cross, right? And so the cross is your death certificate. But Christ rose from the grave and remains alive. Our new identity not only provides a death certificate to address our previous crimes, but also a new righteousness that, so that we have all we need as citizens of heaven with all the resources and privileges that come with it. God looks upon believers with the record of the, the crucified and risen. We forget that sometimes. The crucified and risen Christ. Our assessment Better, right? Better God's assessment of us is pure and full acceptance. Because you were declared righteous. Justified in Christ. Young people, is that not something... You worry about acceptance. Whatever your friends say. Whatever insults, slurs may come at you. 
If you trust in Jesus, God sees you with the identity of Christ, his beloved son. Grown people. It's not that much different, is it? Whatever your insecurity, whether your job, your wealth, your appearance, abilities, or genuine shortcomings, God fully accepts you in Christ. There's nothing you have to add to that. God is magnified, glorified, put on full display as wonderful and majestic as we trust in Jesus. Verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. We could not justify ourselves, and if we could, Christ... Christ's death would be without reason. If we could justify ourselves, if we could, then we should just try harder and get it done. But we can't. So we should flee to Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. I wonder if you really believe those exact words that Paul wrote. I wonder if you hold on to that phrase. How clearly does it ring in your mind and in your heart that Christ died for me? Loved me. Gave himself for me. Does it resound in your heart that Christ died not not simply for sinners generally, but to save you? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christian, that that is the white-hot core of Christian joy and assurance. We're told that this is, that it's a children's song, right? And yet Paul tells us it's the most profound thing you can understand. Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells me so. Let's pray.
Father God, in a world that continually demands performance, we are glad that with you we find our acceptance in Jesus. We are the little ones that to him belong. And even when we are weak all the time, he is strong. Thank you that our salvation, that our approval in your sight does not depend on the strength of our will, the strength of our faith, but the strength of our Savior. And we pray that indeed that would fill us with ever-increasing trust in him, but also ever-increasing love for one another as we walk this life, the justified life, together. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.